Hello, friends, and welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world, too. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Lohman, and we have a men's international window upon us. We're going to talk about the two friendlies for the United States senior team and a little bit about the U23s preparing for the next summer's Olympics. Then we might go on some tangents about the CONCACAF Nations League and the playoff picture in both MLS and the NWSL. Uh, let's start with the U.S. men's national team, though, who played Germany this Saturday in Hartford, Connecticut at 3 p.m. on TNT, and then Ghana next Tuesday in Nashville at 8.30 p.m. also on TNT. Germany, uh, you might have heard of them. They're pretty good at soccer. They've won four World Cups, including as recently as 2014, tied with Italy for second most all-time and trailing only Brazil's five. They've also won Euros three times, most recently in 1996, tied for the most ever with Spain, have been in League A in every iteration of UEFA Nations League. They also won the 2017 Confederations Cup, the final edition of that tournament for good measure. In terms of competitive meetings with the United States, uh, Germany has beaten the Yanks three separate times at the World Cup, 2-0 in the 1998 group stage with a goal scored by now former U.S. men's national team manager Jurgen Klinsmann. Of course, there is the infamous 2002 quarterfinal that Germany won 1-0 thanks to a goal line handball from Torsten Frings that saved what was clearly going to be an American goal with inexplicably no penalty given. Trivia question for you, Dom. Do you remember who had that shot on goal for the U.S.? No, I don't remember. I didn't watch the game. I was like four. Current U.S. men's national team manager, Greg Berhalter. That's triple G, man. Triple G uh, in U.S. soccer lore forever. Uh, Germany also won 1-0 in the 2014 group stage, although the U.S. did still advance out of the group. Outside of friendlies, the U.S. does have one competitive win over Germany, a 2-0 victory in the group stage of the 1999 Confederations Cup. Here's your second trivia question of the day. Do you know who scored the winning goal in that match? No. Current Houston Dynamo manager Ben Olsen with a side-footed finish. Vamos United. Uh, Joe Max Moore also had a galasso of a free kick goal in that game. U.S. finished third in that competition, which fellow CONCACAF member Mexico ended up winning. I miss the Confederations Cup. I'm it just, was so good. I love the Confederations Cup. I'm just going like, to interject with that. That you and I could probably do like a two-hour podcast just on like the 2009 Confederations Cup alone. And like that semifinal when we beat Spain, I think I could, almost beat Brazil in the final. I think I could do a whole series about during a cycle, you like had two separate cycles going on for the actual World Cup and then the Confederations Cup. My favorite fun fact is ahead of the 2013 Confederations Cup, because in the Confed Cup, the winner of the previous World Cup automatically qualified. Well, yep. Spain also won the 2012 Euros. So when Spain won their semifinal match against, I can't even remember who, that automatically qualified Italy for the 2013 Confederations Cup, who they smoked in the final. That's right. I forgot about that. Big thumbs up from Dom Palumbo. And you'll note ahead of the 2017 Confederations Cup, CONCACAF because they had two gold cups instead of making one fully for the confed cup and one meaningless gave half births and the same year that the u.s 
got shelled by Jamaica in the semis. They had to play Mexico in some made-up competition called the CONCACAF Cup, which is still the only iteration of said (laughs) competition in which they lost to Mexico 3-2 in extra time at the Rose Bowl. And And like a crazy game. Yeah, because former U.S. men's national team great Bobby Wood actually scored. It was 1-1 after 90 in Mexico, 3-2. Bobby freaking Wood. He, I want to say, is on New England Revolution right now. Yeah, he is. MLS playoffs, baby. We'll talk about that later. Um, love that tangent. Love me some CONCACAF Cup. Uh, anyways, back to Germany. Seems like they're bringing their A team. Uh, stars on their roster are it's a lengthy list: Thomas Müller, Kai Havertz, Joshua Kimmich, Ilkay Gundogan. Leroy Sané, Leon Goretzka, Mats Hummels, Antonio Rudiger, Mark Andre Ter Stegen. Um, I think we have a couple of young players that are probably going to be stars in a couple of years too. So, going to be a really good test. Ghana qualified for their first World Cup in 2006 and have now qualified for four of the last five uh, most recent World Cups. Their best finish was a quarterfinals appearance in 2010 when Luis Suarez's handball and sacrificial red card helped Uruguay win in a shootout. Ghana has won Africa Cup of Nations four times, which is the third most in history, trailing only Egypt's seven and Cameroon's five, although the last victory came in 1982. Of course, Ghana was the thorn in the United States side at World Cups, playing them at three straight tournaments. The Black Stars won 2-1 to one on the final day of the 2006 group stage, eliminating the U.S. despite Clint Dempsey's goal. In 2010, Ghana eliminated the U.S. in extra time in the round of 16 off the foot of Asamoa Gyan. But finally, in the opening group stage 2014 World Cup, we had revenge. Clint Dempsey had a brilliant bit of individual skill to score in the first minute. The outside of Andre Ayew's left foot equalized in the second half, but then John Anthony Brooks headed home the game winner in the 86th minute for a 2-1 to victory. Andre Ayew's brother, Jordan Ayew, will be the most capped Ghanaian in this squad. He currently plays at Crystal Palace. Other big Premier League names include Arsenal holding midfielder Thomas Partey and Brighton defender Tark Lamptey. We're going to break down the U.S. roster in depth, uh, but Dom, you know, what are your general thoughts about these two friendlies? I'm giving a thumbs up. It's cool. It's fine. We're playing friendlies. Probably going to lose to Germany. Probably beat Ghana in some, like, dramatic fashion or draw or i don't know maybe we're good enough to just smoke ghana now i'm not 100 percent sure um i don't know at the end of the day to me there's still friendlies like it's going to be fun to watch the u.s men's national team a couple more times um but it's there's still friendlies like there's still uh to me i guess a level of competitiveness that just is like it's just not always there in a friendly like at the end of the day a lot of these players if there's a 50 50 challenge like i don't know occasionally they might ease up because the game just game doesn't matter they've got club seasons on the line they've got um likely millions of dollars in bonuses on the line back with back at the with their home club my cat just clawed my foot i'm sorry um I don't know, like it's gonna be cool, but at the end of the day, I think I think my eyes honestly are more so set on the Nations League. Um, because I want to know who we're gonna be playing next month um in the quarterfinal round of that competition. So yeah, cool. Gonna be great to watch the guys, gonna be great to watch the team for the first time in over a month, but it's still friendlies to me, man. 
It is a friendly. For me, this continues to be a really exciting time in American soccer because our player pool is just so stacked. And the Nations League was so much fun because, I mean, we saw them in a competitive environment playing at such a high level. I mean, yeah. really dominating Canada and Mexico. And, you know, as as riveting as Uzbekistan and Oman were, getting to see this group of guys play against top-level competition is really exciting for me. Um, and we'll get into the roster in a little bit. I, this past weekend might have been, like, the best weekend for Americans abroad ever. Like, yeah. we have guys performing at a high level in a lot of big leagues, and that's super fun to see. Well, we've got, I mean, We've got Americans playing for teams that are at the top of – three major leagues in Europe. You've got Balogun playing for Monaco, who are currently leading Liga in France. You've got Pulisic and Musa, who are playing for AC Milan, who are leading the City A. And then you've got Pepe and... Uh, Tillman and Dest. Tillman PSV. and Dest on PSV, who are leading the Dutch Eredivisie. I mean, it, like I think that's what's been really cool to me, is every weekend seeing what a number of our players are doing. I know Luca De La Torre is balling in Spain right now. Um, I mean, obviously you've got some MLS guys that are playing pretty well, um, but guys just kind of filtered throughout some of the best leagues in Europe, just absolutely balling kind of week in and week out. Um, Gio Reyna's back healthy, which I, th- I think it's going to hopefully be good to see him. I'd lo- I'd love for him to get, to start against Ghana. Burhalter already said he's not going to start against Germany just purely because of fitness. Um, but I I'd, I'd love to see him get 60 or 70 minutes in, in that second match um, to kind of see what he can do, see where his form's at. Um, and then, you know, hope, hopefully he's ready to go for November with the matches. That means something. Well, let's get into the roster. Uh, mostly the same from the last international window again against two wins against Oman and Uzbekistan. In goal, we got Matt Turner. He's uh, remained the starter at nine and Forest. Played every minute for them in the Premier League as they sit in thirteenth on the table. Uh, he recorded a clean sheet this weekend in a scoreless draw against Crystal Palace. Ethan Horvath still on the roster uh, because Matt Turner is so great and he plays at North uh, at nine and Forest as well. He has not seen the field yet. Uh, only going two goalies this time, so no Drake Callender as the third string. Also, Zach Steffen remains in like post-surgery purgatory at Manchester City. In terms of defenders, again, a lot of the returners from the last window, Tim Ream has remained a regular starter for Fulham as they sit in 12th in the Premier League and have advanced to the round of 16 of the Carabao Cup. Miles Robinson, uh, center back, has started every match for Atlanta United since the last international window as they've clinched a playoff spot in MLS. Serginho Dest, Right back has been a fixture on the back line for PSV. Um, like you mentioned, they have they have won every air division match they've played this season. It's not only are they on top of the league, not only are they undefeated, they have won every single match in like pretty uh thorough fashion. Um gotta be the American influence, obviously. Also <laughs> recently drew Sevilla in the Champions League. No Mark McKenzie, he's a he has a toe injury, but we do get the return of Cameron Carter Vickers. You will remember him from playing all 90 minutes in the World Cup win over Iran. Watched those highlights the other day. That was very fun. Um, if you'll remember the Christian Pulisic, like, groin goal, always a good time. CCV has been at Celtic since 2022. Um, he's already won two Scottish League titles, a Scottish Cup, and two Scottish League Cups. 
Recently came back from injury. Um, he came on as a sub in their Champions League match against Lazio and then started in a league win over Kilmarnock uh, this past weekend. Celtic is in first in the Scottish Premiership, undefeated, seven points ahead of Rangers. We get Chris Richards again. Uh, he's gotten some rotational action for Crystal Palace. They are ninth in the Premier League. Joe Scally comes back, starting in a couple different roles, fullback and wingback for Borussia Mönchengladbach. He scored a screamer off the bench this weekend okay. to earn a draw with Mainz. Uh, Gladbach up to 12th in the Bundesliga. Christopher Lund in the squad after making his debut last window. He's been a regular for Palermo, currently sitting second in Serie B and are in position to earn promotion to Italy's top flight. Uh, no Anthony Robinson. Uh, he has a sports hernia. He is replaced by Dewan Jones. You'll remember him as a 2023 Gold Cup semifinalist. Uh, where he had two assists mm-hmm. and actually looked like one of the better American players. Um, he's been one of the best players for New England Revolution, Bobby Wood teammate. Uh, they have also clinched their playoff spot. In midfield, we got Weston McKinney again, uh, being used kind of out of position as a wingback for Juventus, but they are in third in Serie A right now. He had an assist and a win over Lazio. And then this weekend, he actually played in his natural center mid-roll in a 2-0 win over Torino. Yunus Musa. Uh, key player for AC Milan as they've gotten two scoreless draws in the group of death in Champions League. And, as we had mentioned, took over first place in Serie A this weekend with a 1-0 win over Genoa, where Musa assisted Christian Pulisic on the lone goal, inspired more USA <laughs> chants from the Italian announcers. Uh, Olivier Giroud was in goal for a little bit. <laughs> she got weird in Italy. But uh, Americans are taking over over there. We love to see that. Del Torre, a uh, regular starter for Celta Vigo. He got an assist against Barcelona the other day and then another assist this weekend in a 2-2 draw with Hatafe. Although Celta Vigo d- does currently sit in the relegation zone, so that's not ideal, but Luca's playing well. Malik Tillman, initially named to this roster. He's been killing it for PSV. He had to withdraw for injury, so he is replaced as of like an hour ago by 2023 Nations League champion Alex Zendejas. He has two goals and three assists for Club America, who are in first place in the Liga MX Apertura. Johnny Cardoso was in the squad last time. He had to pull out for injury, but he is back fully healthy for this window, uh, playing for Internacional in Brazil. They lost to Fluminense in Copa Libertadores semifinals, um, and they're in 12th in Brazil's Serie A. Gio Reyna seems as though we have buried the hatchet from the... We have. We have. We have playing time slash training attitude slash not so private comments at a conference slash hatchets buried. We can continue we being continue. the ultimate American soccer parent Karen slash Berhalter domestic abuse drama. So we buried all that, which is good to see. Happy that we are moving on. Two time CONCACAF Nations League champion. He made his season debut this weekend off the bench in a 4 2 win over Union Berlin. Dortmund are currently fourth in the Bundesliga. And we have Leonard Maloney. Uh, could be his U.S. men's national team debut, hard-nosed defensive midfielder. Um, not a super known product, I think, for U.S. men's national team fans. Uh, you and I had not heard of him before. Uh, he started his pro career with Union Berlin, uh, where Brendan Aronson is now, actually. But back when they were in the second division, spent a couple years with Dortmund's reserves, getting a couple Bundesliga appearances. Since 2022, he's played for Heidenheim, who he helped win promotion to the Bundesliga for the first time in their history. Um, I did not have time to fact check this, but saw a quote from the Heidenheim coach that he's the first player in club history to get called up to a national team. So that's kind of cool. Uh, in the YouTube highlight video that I found, um, he was actually playing as a center back for Dortmund's reserves. Well, so. tr- 
Triple G also said he had like the most ground covered of like any center mid in the Bundesliga through however many matches. What that means or how relevant that stat is, I don't know, because it could just mean your team is ass and you're running all (laughs) over the place. Running around chasing the ball. Uh, (laughs) But it's something to watch out for. He all did you also see like part of Berhalter's quote about him is that he like claps a lot and is like encouraging teammates. It's like, well, man, I don't know if that's like, dude, a... dude, dude, it's Greg, man. He's going to wear like a polka dotted tie dye pair of ripped jeans with like some, some OG J's and the U S men's national team Twitter account is going to post a photo of his shoes before a highlight video of a goal. It's Greg, man. He's all about rah, rah and hype. It's fine. It's cute. It's fine, though. Greg loves aesthetics, just in general, both in players and attire. I feel like Leonard Maloney is going to be a prime candidate for, hey, remember some guys in like five years. He is going to cap again. He he is going to be the star of the 2027 Gold Cup. (laughs) I'm I'm sensing like Tyler Boyd vibes, like not positionally, but just like, oh, yeah, that guy was, you know, here for. Or, a cup of coffee and we or, never hear from him again. Or he'll be the star of like the 2026, 2027 Nations League group stage when we're playing like freaking Trinidad and Tobago. In when St. Vincent and the Grenadines yep. has been promoted yep. to League A. Absolutely. And he'll score a screamer when we beat St. Vincent like 7-0 in St. Vincent. Anyways, uh back to the subject of midfielders Tyler Adams had a setback with his injury and is still out that is obviously very concerning but I do think there's a lot of depth here um for the midfield regardless in terms of forwards Christian Pulisic continues to start for AC Milan as we mentioned with Musa they've been in good form scored a goal in the 2-0 win over Lazio the other day his winning goal against Genoa this weekend was sexy had an incredible first touch to take the cross out of the air then spun around and struck it i was watching the highlight of it before we came on. I was just like getting hype on my couch to the USA chance from the <laughs> Italian announcer. Just so cool to see. Brendan Aronson uh, struggling a little bit, mostly coming off the bench for Union Berlin as they make their Champions League, Champions League debut this season. Tim Weah has been coming off the bench as a wingback for Juventus, which he's certainly capable of, but I'm hoping they start using him as just an out-and-out wiener soon, which is what he plays as for the U.S., although he is nice and versatile. Ricardo Pepe has been a consistent super sub for PSV. He scored two goals in league play since the last window. Florin Balogun has already helped Monaco climb to the top of the league on table, including a goal full of individual skill and power and an assist and a 3-2 win over Marseille, and then scored again this weekend against his former club, Rim. And finally, we've got Kevin Paredes listed as a forward this time. Uh, he's, you know, young and versatile enough. You can really just stick him anywhere wide, and he's going to be productive. Just a handful of minutes off the bench for Wolfsburg this season, who are currently seventh in the Bundesliga. We touched on some of it, but, you know, initial kind of general thoughts on the roster. Uh, one guy I'm super excited to see is Johnny Cardoso. I feel like we yeah. were robbed of that in September. Um, I'm fascinated to see if he can kind of squeak his way into the regular 23. Um, Especially with Adams. Uh, being injured like Mm -hmm. having a really solid destroyer number six would be huge well because i think for a lot of these guys that are kind of on the fringe this is one of their last opportunities i think to kind of sneak their way into the squad because if you think about it the next window 
is is pretty crucial. Um, you get through those two matches and you qualify for both the Nations League finals and Copa America. Um, and I think you need to be bringing your best dudes that are in form at that time. And so I think for a lot of these fringe guys, this is going to be kind of their last window to really impress. Um, so he's one. I'd love to see more from Paredes. I doubt we see too, too much of him. Um, cause if we're not seeing too, too much of him against Uzbekistan or Oman, you, you may not, you may not see much of him against Germany or, or Ghana, but I, I think he's again, somebody that's kind of on the fringe of things that, that would be cool to see to kind of, you know, kind of fit his way in. And then, um, you know, finally, I think I, I kind of just want to see this Maloney kid to see how much he claps, see, see the, <laughs> the rah, rah pomp and circumstance around him. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's it's kind of kind of same old, same old. I mean, I think this 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 is the kind of team that we're going to be seeing a lot of. Uh, one thing to note, uh, Tim Weah went to Juventus as a wingback. Um, he did an interview with Fabrizio Romano, I think, sometime in July, and basically said that uh, one of the things he wanted to do was to kind of convert his position at the club level to to being a wingback. Um, seemed like it, it was a, a way for him, I think, to stay. He, he kind of alluded to uh, allowing it to uh, allowing him to stay healthier. Um, I don't know how those two things correlate, but he said it was kind of a way for him to, you know, kind of make himself, uh, I guess, a more versatile player later down the line. What that means, I don't know, but um, I have a feeling Juventus is just going to continue to use him as a wing back because it seems as if that's the position he was brought in to play. Um, whereas for the national team, I'm assuming he'll be a mainstay up in that front three um, on the left or right wing, depending on where we decide to put Pulisic that day. Um, for this, is this like a like a Demarcus Beasley situation where he starts his so. career high and then you know yeah has a sunset so. of his career as an outside back. I Which, you know, so. is not the worst thing. Well, and I think it's a way, career. well, if anything, I think it's a way for him to get on the field at Juventus. Yeah. Right. Because um, at the end of the day, the more versatile you can be, the more positions you can play. Ideally, the more often you're going to actually see the field at the club level, which at a club like Juventus, getting on the field is hard enough as it is. So, I don't know. Overall, though. Solid roster. I think this is as good of a roster as you can get, uh, given the guys that are healthy, given the guys that are hurt. Um, to U.S. Men's National Team Twitter, which has really hit a horrifically dark place over the last couple of years, Anthony Robinson was able to play at the weekend for Fulham because his hernia was not uh, egregious enough yet to sideline him. They, they foresaw it coming. He played for Fulham. And it's better for him to play for Fulham than to play in two meaningless matches for the U.S. and to get hurt. He's not being blackballed by Triple G. He's not being left off the roster for something that he's done. It's, hey, this is happening. Play your last match for Fulham. Take care of it. We'll see you in November. Okay? Load management, if you will. Yeah, yes. Yes, I need him healthy for a pair of matches against Panama more so than I need him for this window. And I know that's going to pain a lot of people. Those matches in November are two of the most important matches that we're going to be playing in this FIFA calendar year. On the subject of Wea, it's also, if you're Juventus, what an embarrassment of riches you have to stick Tim Wea as a wingback 
mm-hmm. and have a guy that has like that attacking prowess as a defender that you can then overload the wings on. I mean, his goal against Wales in the World Cup was just straight up all out attacking. Yes. Beauty. And yes. that guy's playing wing back on the back line in Syria A, which, you know, in like the 90s was known as, you know, the rough and tumble. Yes. Kick you in the shins defensive league. Fascinating stuff where we are in 2023. Johnny Cardoso, such a unique player. Not even necessarily in terms of like what he does on the field. I don't know how many Brazilian American dual nets we've ever had. I don't know how many Americans we've ever had playing Copa Libertadores or if they have make it that far. Oh. Like just I mean, most of our I dual nets are you. either, you know, Mexican American or you know, some other Central American country or you know, European American of some country where we have like a military base, you know, a lot of Germans or right. Brits. Uh, you don't get Brazil a ton. So I just love that just from a global soccer fan standpoint, getting to get nerdy about Libertadores. But yeah, I mean, I think the midfielder midfielders that we have, I feel pretty good about the depth. Like McKinney Musa Adams was, you know, the the starting trio at the World Cup. But at this point, it's probably you almost have to start a healthy Reina. We, we've you know beat this horse a hundred times. I just get very excited about the the various combinations that we have in midfield. Yeah, it's easy to. I mean, I think, and I think that this window will hopefully lay some more of the groundwork, and then November November is when we have to handle our business because because we can't we can't celebrate trophies unless we handle our business in November, and hopefully this window sets the tone for that. And hopefully the team understands that. I'm sure Greg's competitive ass understands that. Um, I mean, I felt like he was going to flick off some or punch some poor El Salvadorian fan during the group stage in June of the Nations League. So um, I'm assuming that the message is there. Um, I just hope we see it on the field. Again, it's it's friendlies. It's, it's going to be whether we win both, lose both, draw both, split them in some way, it's going to be hard, I think, to get a full picture of kind of where things are at just because they're friendlies. And as I've said before, international soccer is so weird because you can't really take from what happened in September and think you can predict what will happen in October, right? Just like whatever happens over this next week, like – we, I don't think you can really use it to predict what can happen in November because we have no clue who's going to be healthy. We have no clue who's going to be in form at that time. But ideally, this will give us an idea of kind of, A, who the regulars are going to continue to be and B, if, if there's anybody new that maybe we haven't seen yet. Again, like I said, maybe they kind of sneak their way into that regular 23- to 27-man roster. I still have nightmares about Asimovian, so I would love to just be Ghana just for the principle of it. Um, one good. last, one last note on this team, and we can move on to the the U23s. Brendan, Ar- I would love for this window to be a kickstart for Brendan Aronson to get back into form, which I think international windows often can be. You know, you get a little bit of a reset. You know, get to see the homies again, play for a team that you've had success with before. I mean, Union Berlin is a struggling as in general as a team. Um, so that would be nice to see him get off the schneid a little bit. Agreed. All right, is it my big moment? Is it is it is it is it my turn to <laughs> to take it over? 
You let it me handle this segment of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dom's debut as not just vibes. You put in some work on this section. But I was super impressed with actual damn analysis. So uh, on top of the senior team playing a pair of friendlies, we actually get our first full look at what could be the Olympic squad for the U23s. They will take on Mexico on October 11th and Japan on October 17th with both of those matches happening in Phoenix. They're doing like a kind of a three-team table. So the U.S. will play Mexico on the 11th. Japan and Mexico will play each other on the 14th. And then the U.S. will play Japan on the 17th with all three teams obviously fielding U23 sides. Um, Some facts about the roster features nine players who have appeared for the senior national team in some capacity. Eight who actually have played at a FIFA Youth World Cup in the past for the U.S. And then there's a trio of players who are actually on the U-20 squad that played in Argentina this past summer, where the U.S., of course, became the only nation to reach uh, the quarterfinals in four consecutive iterations of the U-20 World Cup. So I'm going to go quickly position by position. I'll ask Andy his thoughts and a lovely reversal of roles in this segment. And uh, hopefully those of you listening will will enjoy my lovely poetry here for the next couple minutes. So uh, starting with goalkeepers, uh, we've got Christopher Brady, who will likely be the starter for this team moving forward. He actually won the Golden Gloves at the 2022 CONCACAF U-20 Championship, which is how the U.S. actually qualified for the Olympics. Um, he's made 29 starts and kept eight clean sheets for the Chicago Fire this year, who are somehow still alive for the playoffs and may actually make it somehow. Um, Jude and Shakiri decide to actually show up to work the other week. Sure, sure. In the words of Pablo Maurer, the fact that they are a playoff team basically uh, riddles the MLS regular season useless. Uh, anyway, moving on. You also have jo- John Pulskamp, who's made five starts uh, for Sporting KC this year. Uh, he's kind of been on the outskirts of that roster. Um, I'm assuming he'll be more of a depth piece on this team and then you've got patrick uh i'm gonna butcher his last name um who's been one of the arguably one of the best young goalkeepers in mls this year for columbus crew he's made 30 starts kept seven clean sheets um as columbus actually sits pretty comfortably in a playoff spot so i would assume actually going into the olympics that the kind of the, the number one keeper position will be between Brady and Schulte and whoever's in form at the time will likely get the job between the sticks. Um, back line, we actually had a change today. So Brandon Craig was a late addition today. U-20 World Cup participant, currently plays for Austin FC and MLS on loan from the Philadelphia Union. Um, among the originals that were on the roster, we'll start with, uh, again, I'm going to preface some of this with, there are some dudes on here that, I have never heard of. And for those listening, squads like this, while you may hear some names that are new or different, there are some guys on here that I think it may not be mainstays, but could definitely make some noise in terms of making the senior team as we progress over the next three, four, five, six years. And ideally, this is a camp that leading into the Olympics can kind of lay some of that foundation. So anyway, to begin with defenders, we've got Maximilian Dietz. He currently plays in the two Bundesliga with SPVGG in the words of the Wikipedia voiceover, Grifferfirth, and uh, has already repped the U.S. at the U.S. 17 level level 
Does that mean he's teammates with Julian Green? Is Julian Green yes. still on that team? Yes, he is. Hell yeah. It's amazing. World uh, Cup goal scorer. And you've got Nathan Harrell, who's a Philadelphia Union homegrown, one career goal for the Union's MLS side, and has made 24 appearances with 17 starts this season. And they've got 2023 Gold Cup legend Brian Reynolds, scored that screamer in the U.S.'s 6-0 victory over St. Kitts and Nevis. He's made seven appearances for KVC Westerlo in the Belgian Pro League. Um, obviously he's one of the eight players that has made, uh, multiple senior national team appearances. I've got another 23 gold cup participant, John Tolkien, been a mainstay at the back line for the red bulls while scoring a pair of goals, pretty subpar at the 2023 gold cup. Um, so I'm interested to see how much time he gets in this squad and, uh, whether or not he can actually make some noise or not. And then you've got Jonathan Tom Kinson, who is currently on loan at Bradford city from Norwich. He's made just one appearance in league two this season, but has previously repped the U S at the U 17 level. Um, then finally you've got Caleb Wiley, Atlanta United homegrown. Made 29 appearances this season. Actually played for the U.S. men's national team back in April when the Americans drew Mexico 1-1 in Glendale. And he is currently 18 years old, which you'll note means that during that friendly against Mexico, he was younger than 18 years old, which is alarming and scary. Anyway, moving on to the midfielders. We've got, I would say, probably... I would say Paxton Aronson among this group might be the most sought after or paid attention to prospect on this roster. He won the golden ball, the CONCACAF U20 championship, uh, actually scored the winner against Honduras, which is the reason that the U.S. qualified for the Olympics and is obviously brother of U.S. men's national team midfielder slash forward Brendan Aronson and currently plays for Bundesliga side Eintracht Frankfurt. And then we've got everybody's favorite um, North Carolinian, John Luca Buzio, who holds the most senior level caps of anybody on this roster with 13, scored in the U.S.'s win over Trinidad Tobago in the Gold Cup this summer, and currently plays in Serie B with Venezia and Italy. Although I think he scored I, this weekend. Buzio did. Did, did he, he did. actually? Because yeah. I was about to say he's kind of become the second choice American on that side uh, with fellow U23 teammate Tanner Tessman, um, who obviously is a teammate of John Licabuzio at Venezia. He's made two appearances for the senior team previously and actually played for the U23 side during Olympic qualifying out of the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, although that side failed to qualify for those Olympics, being that this is our first Olympic appearance since 2008. Oof. Yeah, terrible. Uh, further moving down the so list. You're telling me the last time that we qualified for the Olympics, uh, Caleb Wiley was three years old? Correct. Oof. Oof. Michael Bradley was like a young buck on that team. That's right. Yes. And like, was like Stu Holden like yes. a young Stu prospect? Yep. Yep. Ouch. Isn't that great? I'd like just finished middle school. I'm not going to lie. I'm actually pretty sure because you can take three players outside of that U23 window. Mm -hmm. I'm almost positive Josh Wolf was on that roster. <laughs> like I'm I'm almost positive he was. You may have Na to national team him. legend, current Austin FC coach that I'm going to have to look it up. Continue. Uh, this, um, this is fantastic. 
Continuing down the list, we have Lionel Messi's best friend, League's Cup champion, and the greatest <laughs> midfielder to ever play for Inter-Miami FC. And uh, Ben Kramowski earned his first U.S. Men's National Team call-up during the September window when the U.S. took on Uzbekistan and Oman. He was not a part of any of the qualifying for the Olympics, uh, but could potentially kind of pencil his name in as a key piece to that squad when they head to France this summer. Next is Jack McGlynn, who's actually been a pretty important piece for the Philadelphia Union scored a pair of goals appeared in 26 matches and he is actually a dual national who could also play for the Republic of Ireland next we've got Aiden Morris another gold cup participant scored four goals while being kind of a regular for the Columbus crew in the midfield again one of those guys that didn't really impress all that much at the gold cup actually ended up having to leave the team after the group stage I believe due to some personal issues Uh, but just prior to that gold cup he actually committed to the U.S. after being a part of both the U.S. and Canada's preliminary rosters for the Nations League after those rosters came out, he ended up committing to the U.S., playing in the Gold Cup, and all the rest is said and done. To conclude the midfielders, this was my favorite guy to look up and tells you how much I've been following MLS over the last year. We have Obed Vargas, an 18-year-old who hails from Anchorage, Alaska, and is a dual nat with the U.S. and Mexico, born to an American mother from Alaska, and a Mexican father could play for both will represent the U S in this window has played in 21 matches and made 14 starts for the Seattle Sounders in MLS moving on to the forwards. Okay. I I put the pronunciation here. I'm still going to screw it up, but a homegrown for the new England revolution Esmir by rack Esmir Byrak Terevich. He's made 13 appearances for the Revs in 2023. Kind of one of the more uh, lesser known names on this roster. Uh, next, we've got Taylor Booth. I think he's been kind of up there with um, Paxton Aronson, at least among this group, just in terms of the coverage he's gotten on kind of a more national level. Um, he's made a C- he may actually made his senior team debut in March when the U.S. played at Grenada in the Nations League group stage and currently plays for Dutch club side FC Utrecht, uh, where he's currently in his second season, made close to 30 appearances for them. I know he's dealt with some injuries early on this year, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how much time he actually gets in these pair of friendlies. Next, we've got Johan Gomez, who plays for third Bundesliga side, Eintracht Braunschweig in Germany. Um, this is his first season with that club. He previously played for FSV Zwickau as a teenager where he scored 12 goals and 69 appearances across three seasons. Uh, FSV Zwickau is also in the third Bundesliga. So he's just kind this of... Is, this is really a German third-tier podcast. It, I've always it, said that. It really is. Uh, next, we got Brian Gutierrez, a Chicago Fire homegrown, played in 31 matches, scored a pair this season for the Fire, and actually has four career MLS goals, and he's just 20 years old. Another fascinating dual national we have here in Bernard Camungo, dual national with the U.S. and Tanzania, was actually called up for Tanzania in June to appear for them in their uh, African Cup of Nations qualifiers, never saw the field, still has yet to make a senior level cap for 
anybody and when called up for the U23s for the Olympics, said it was a dream come true. Currently plays for FC Dallas and has only made a couple of appearances this season um, in MLS. He has 14 career appearances and four MLS goals. Next, we have Duncan McGuire. I would say he's probably one of the most inform known players on this squad for Orlando City um, as as they uh, head toward the playoffs. He's got 11 goals and three assists and 28 appearances for them. And then to round it all out is yet another dual national and probably the best name on the entire team, Indiana Vasilev, a dual national with the U.S. and Bulgaria. He actually began his professional career overseas for Aston Villa and Villa scouted him after he like balled out as a 14 year old at the 2017 U17 World Cup then was sent on loan to Inter Miami long before Leo Messi even knew they were a club and <laughs> this being his first ever season as not a loaned out player in MLS has played in every single match this year for the winners of the Western Conference in St. Louis City Andy any takeaways, thoughts from this absolutely incredible roster? Any thoughts or takeaways from my first monologue that was actually somewhat scripted for this podcast? Um, I loved all of it. So many takeaways. I don't know where to start. Having dual nets from Tanzania and Bulgaria is just incredible. Um, the U.S. is such a fascinating melting pot, just even beyond soccer. I just think that's so cool. And I think the U.S. national soccer teams are a really cool representation of that. Um, can't, I know that this has been just a podcast of listing rosters so far, but I did pull up the 2008 Olympic roster. If we want to quickly rapid fire, go through that because it's fascinating. Okay. Uh, the three overage players, Michael Parkhurst, Brian McBride and Brad Guzan. Oh my God. Um, I forgot the Olympic rosters are only 18 guys, so it's a little bit smaller. The rest of the roster Chris Seitz, Marvell Wynn, Michael Orozco, Michael Bradley, Dax McCarty, Maurice Adu, Stuart Holden, Danny Zatella. That's a MLS after The fact that Dax McCarty at any point in his playing career was young enough to be a U23. <laughs> he's just always been 35. Is, I think he's always been close to 40. Like he's always been one year away from being 40. He, every That's time Olympian he takes, Dax McCarty to well, you. Every time he takes the field, he looks exhausted. He looks like his kids have been running amok. Looks like he's got his mortgage payment due in a couple weeks. That's That's amazing. Uh, Charlie Davies, Benny Failhaber, Freddie Adu, back when Freddie Adu was like in the national team conversation, a very young Josie Altador, Patrick Iani, Robbie Rogers, uh, Sasha Kleshton was the rest of that roster. Can I, okay, Uh, can I, can I very quickly say if you really take a look at that roster of the 18 players, I would say 10 to 12 made an impact for the senior team. At some yeah, absolutely. Point in time, whether and like, it be in gold cups or qualifying or world cups, none of them had double digit caps for the U.S. at that point, which is very similar to now. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you'll note the the only one with double digits on this roster is John Luca Buzio. Duncan McGuire played college soccer at Creighton. Yeah, he go did. Blue Jays! Shout out to Omaha, Nebraska. 
Um, and yeah, he has been killing it for Orlando and is a definitely a part of why they are among the favorites for MLS MLS Cup this year. Um, yeah, a lot a lot of names that really stand out to me that I'm excited to watch. A lot of them are guys that we have seen, and I can't believe Gianluca Buzio is eligible. That's a dude I just assumed that he was 27. Um, I believe he is 22. That's crazy. Taylor Booth is a really exciting prospect. I mean, you, you t- like Paxton Aronson. The Aronsons just crank out national team midfielders. I don't know what's in the water. Buzio okay. is 21. That, that is even scarier. That is crazy. Um, May 28th, 2002. 9-11 is in his history book. One thing that may not be super obvious is that I think the Philadelphia Union Academy has a handful of guys in here. Jack McGlynn is one that really stands out to me. He scored a rocket in the CONCACAF U20 championship that qualified us. He's a player that I'm excited to watch. I'm glad you mentioned John Tolkien's somewhat disappointing Gold Cup because he's actually been really good for New York Red Bulls this year. Scored a goal, loss of a free kick against DC United this year, which is really frustrating for us. Um, I'm excited to see John Tolkien get another chance for the U.S. to hopefully play up to like what his level is because I really don't think that Gold Cup was representative of what kind of player he is. I will also say it was fascinating watching the difference in treatment of him versus Alex Zendejas because Zendejas kept playing poorly, but kept playing. Tolkien (laughs) was mid against Jamaica and then never saw the field again. And I get Dewan Jones was impressive against St. Kitts and Trinidad and Tobago. And is on the senior team roster now. But to me, like, like, a good performance against those two teams is much different than even a mid performance against Jamaica, who you could argue was one of the favorites to win that tournament at its outset. Um, so I, I, I think this will be a good opportunity for him, especially if he stays with the team and maybe plays at the Olympics um, to kind of get back into that national team conversation, because I think we've talked about it before. The the more depth that we can have at the outside back position, the better. One just overarching theme that gets me excited is just the level of talent that is in this roster is really exciting. I mean, we mentioned so that 08 Olympic roster full of guys that had, I mean, to your point, a big impact on the national team that would go on to do that. But at the time, I don't I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine this roster's resume would blow that roster's resume at that time out of the water. So the ceiling is even higher. Just so cool. Such an awesome moment to be an American soccer fan because the ceiling is just so high. Like I agree. I mean, I also think the number of teenagers is really cool. The number of players in this roster that weren't a part of the U-20 championship and the pure number of MLS homegrowns that are in this roster is really exciting because I think one of the – overarching criticisms of MLS has always been its ability to develop players. I think over the last decade, you've seen the league really push that narrative of we are going to put more funding toward youth development. You have the, um, excuse me, the MLS next league, which allows a lot of these homegrown players to get um, high level match experience 
while getting paid at the same time. Um, you're seeing the growth even of the lower tiered leagues um, in America. So these younger players at 16, 17 years, I mean, a 14 year old appeared for Sacramento Republic hmm. like yeah. a week ago. Um, and so that, I think that's the part that's really exciting to me is that it's not just the flash in the pan of Freddie Adu every now and then there are super good teenagers that are playing regular minutes for a ton of MLS teams. And many of them are in this roster and many of them are probably going to make moves to Europe in the coming years, even in the next window in January, maybe. I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Um, said a lot of things that I was about to say. Um, so smart on you there. I do think we are now obligated to make a Sacramento Republic FC reference during every podcast that we make. From yeah, this is out. like two or three episodes in a row now, I think. Um, but I, th- I think this these two rosters are really indicative of, and hear me out here, the growth of MLS and why I'm really optimistic and really love watching that league because so many of these under 23s are on MLS rosters. And there's a handful of MLS guys on the senior team, but very few of them are. Like they're mostly out in Europe, balling out in the world's best leagues. And really, realistically, for MLS and its current standpoint, like that is exactly where you want to be. You want to find your local talent, you want to develop them, have them move on, play at higher, play at higher levels. And you want MLS to be a place where young, talented players from any number of countries, from, say, Argentina, like Tiago Amada, or Mexico, or Honduras, or Venezuela, or Brazil, can come and say, hey, this is the springboard to go play in a big five league in Europe. Well, that I is think... going to elevate us. Like We can be at the level, if that continues, especially with this new era with Lionel Messi, we can be at the level of like a Dutch league or a Portuguese league or a Belgian league where you're like a top 10 league in the world. That's super exciting. Well, I mean, look, I mean, let's look at how many guys were developed by MLS on the, on the senior roster. Turner and Horvath both spent time in MLS Turner with new England revolution. Horvath, I believe was with the rapids or I believe went through their Academy as, as a youth player. I'm almost he went to positive. Europe pretty early. I think. But, but Turner, definitely, Turner, but Horvath, was. I'm pretty sure went through the Rapids Academy, kind of in right, the right. early days of that development. Reem uh, played in MLS for a little bit. Miles yep. Robinson currently plays in MLS for Atlanta United. Uh, Chris Richards was uh, played for Chicago, I believe. Uh, Dewan Jones currently plays for the Revolution. McKinney went through FC Dallas's. Um, Academy, uh, I'm pretty sure Gio Reyna went through some MLS Academy, didn't he? New York City, I think, because I think Claudio Reyna was like the technical, though he was at Dorman pretty early. I mean, either way, uh, Aronson, I'm pretty sure went through an MLS Academy. Ricardo Pepe, Pepe. North Texas SC, great. He played for FC Dallas super recently. Kevin Paredes, a DC United homegrown player. Uh, I, I mean, the the roots of MLS. Tyler Adams, are, who is not on the roster, was yes, at Red Bulls. Is is filtered throughout, right? So, you know, I think to what you just said, like the exciting thing is, is that 
MLS can be that springboard to go to a top five league in Europe. And, you know, the soccer is still good. And ideally your best players do want to leave. Right. You know, I mean, there's something to be said for the lifers like Jesus Ferreira and Brandon Vasquez, who, you know, may not leave, but will dominate uh, MLS or score a ton. I could see Vasquez playing in Europe soon. Maybe. Maybe, but I, but, but to that point, you know, there, there's still, uh, you know, a way to the national team, even while still playing in MLS, i.e. Miles Robinson and Dewan Jones. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. Is it, is it time for my second segment where we briefly discuss the nation's league? Let's talk about nation's league. All right. We're going to do this pretty loosely folks because you'll note since the last time we spoke about nations league there have not been any nations league matches so i think this is just going to be andy and i spouting back and forth about how screwed up um (laughs) this schedule is but leading into the the second international window um of this fifa calendar year there's a ton on the line uh we're going to focus on league a because because that's going to kind of be where the meat of all of this is group a you've got trinidad and tobago who were i don't want to say the class of group a but they they handled their business better than anybody else um, winning both of their matches they're at the top of group a with six points panama and guatemala round out second and third with four points each with panama leading on goal difference you'll note Panama and Guatemala played in the last window, uh, drawing 1-1 in Guatemala City. Uh, You'll note that those two play again, which is something I'm going to gripe about probably for the next 20 minutes. Martinique is the final team in Group A with points. Uh, They're on three points, uh, I believe, after taking down. Sorry, let me pull up the schedule. They fell to Panama 3-0 and then beat Curaçao 1-0 in their second match. And rounding out the bottom of Group A are Curaçao and El Salvador, both on zero points. In Group B, it's a two-way tie at the top between Jamaica and Cuba, who are each on four. Jamaica took down Honduras at home and kind of in shocking fashion drew Haiti 2-2 to conclude their first window. Uh, Cuba... Somehow narrowly, uh, I don't even want to say narrowly. Um, Cuba drew <laughs> Haiti. Goals. Ni- oh, sorry. Go ahead. They drew Haiti nil nil and then barely eked past Suriname and are somehow kind of in pole position to potentially sneak into the quarterfinal round. Um, after its loss to Jamaica in its first game, Honduras came back and absolutely smashed Grenada 4 0 um, in Honduras and sits in third with three points. But if we're being honest, they may have one of the better chances to qualify for the next round because they actually play Cuba twice in this coming window. Rounding out the group is Haiti, who finished with two draws, and then Suriname and Grenada, who are both on one point after drawing each other on the first match day. So, Andy, there, there's not too much more to talk about that we didn't already talk about um, in the last episode, but I think there's a lot of room for chaos. Matches start Thursday, October 12th. Um, I still think there's going to be one or two teams that do not advance um, to at least the next round that are going to be somewhat surprising. What say you? 
Yeah, I think the way this is set up, there's just a limited amount of quarterfinal berths, and you're going to have quality teams, no matter how it shakes out, that aren't going to make it. And that does make it fun and exciting and, you know, raises the level of competition. Looking at Group A, I think Panama is pretty solid just because their level of play right now. We've been we've kind of become Panama stands on this podcast, but I think they're clearly the fourth best team in the region. I think they, especially because they played Curacao in this first match day, that's a complete mismatch. So I think they're pretty much good to advance, which means that Trinidad, Tobago, and Guatemala play each other on Thursday. That is like the I think deciding match of this group. If Trinidad, Tobago can get three points or even really a result out of that. I think they are pretty much qualified at that point. Guatemala's got a fighting claw and win that. Because if they don't, they have to go to Pan- go to Panama on the final match day. And that's that's gonna be tough. See, I think I think Guatemala's gonna end up beating Trinidad and Tobago. And I think Guatemala will still be left at home. Trinidad and impossible. Tobago closes the group stage by playing Curacao. And mm-hmm. All Trinidad and Tobago has to do to qualify for the quarters is win one of their two matches. That's all they have to do. I think they can mail it in against Guatemala and get wrecked, and Guatemala will still be left at home. Because my prediction is Panama will get its it, the results that it needs. They'll win the group with 10 points. Trinidad and Tobago will stumble against Guatemala, be Curacao, qualify. And Guatemala, as I've already said, will be sent home which stinks because they deserve to make the next round honestly i think they deserve a fighting chance to to make the the nation's league finals i think that's one of those cases where let's say guatemala decided for no reason to get six from six in these next two matches and shockingly wins the group or something like i would put them as favorites over a costa rica or even a canada at this point in time I think on the the other side of the table in this group, the intriguing thing, El Salvador currently in last, but they play Martinique twice. So they could, they control their own destiny to get out of the relegation zone. I think Curacao is pretty much doomed no matter what. Yeah, I agree. Looking at group B, it's obviously a lot tighter. I mean, first through last is only separated by three points. I think Jamaica Haiti on the final match day is going to be the crucial one. Like Honduras plays Cuba twice. Cuba has done admirably. I think has saved themselves from relegation this round, but I don't see them getting two results against Honduras. I think Honduras will secure their advancement to the quarterfinals just based off those two matches, which then makes that Jamaica-Haiti match on the final match day super crucial Um, to see who gets the other spot. Jamaica, so Jamaica plays Grenada. On the first match day, Haiti plays Suriname. Those two nations are probably going to be the ones that get dropped down to League B. So you really want to get three points out of those for each of those teams. And then it sets up the final match day, which could be very exciting. And then Suriname and Grenada play each other on the final match day. A win there for either team, that could also well, save their own relegation chances, maybe send someone else down. Like if like Haiti... Haiti is one point clear of relegation. If they really stumble, like they could be playing in League B again. If uh, if you're the U.S., are you rooting for anybody to play? Because as of right yeah. now, the U.S. would get the worst of the two second place teams. As of right now, 
I would like to think that the U.S. roster is strong enough that we do not care, and we will play whoever. I don't know if that's too cocky. Not that these are, like, you know, we would still have to go out and win the games. It's not like they're, like, complete minnows. But considering what we did in the Nations League finals this June, we, we should not have any problems. If anymore. you're Greg, what road surface do you want to play the least? <laughs> play the least? I mean, playing Cuba on the road would be like an international geopolitical dispute. <laughs> that could be interesting. Okay. See, I, I I think I want to avoid Guatemala at all costs. I mean, I want to avoid Panama at all costs is probably my real answer since we just lost to them in the Nations League semis. Gold Cup semis. Right, Gold Cup. So much CONCACAF this summer. I think this is going to be fascinating. And not, yeah, not, that this, not that this will outweigh, I guess, me watching the U.S. men's national team matches, but... I think a lot of my attention will be placed on the nation's league simply because I'm super curious to see who we draw. I'm super curious to see um, how these teams shake out. If there's any potential injuries, what the form of these teams is, because in my opinion, I thought Jamaica was pretty lackluster in September. Um, with kind of how they handled their pair of matches, especially with both being at home. Because the fact that Jamaica has to play Haiti on the road, even though it may be in the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or wherever the hell they're going to play that match, um, the fact that they're not going to be playing in the friendly confines of the National Stadium in Kingston um, honestly worries me a little bit. Not because they don't have the talent to do it, but Jamaica just doesn't seem like they don't give me any hope that they're just going to handle their business. So I think I think we could see some random team out of Group B kind of weasel their way into that second spot, especially if Honduras handles their business against Cuba. Also worth noting, so League B and League C do not wrap up this window. When those Nations League quarterfinal matches are happening in November, those will be the final match days for those leagues, although they do have matches in this window. Couple intriguing storylines, I think, in League B. So St. Lucia and Guadalupe are currently tied with six points each at the top of Group A. They play each other twice this window. So really gonna see is St. Lucia for real? Or are they actually going to become the second team, you know, to go from League C to League yeah. A, which would be cool? Is Guadalupe for real? Um, Nicaragua, if they can just not cheat, you know, and actually make it to mm-hmm. League A this time. St. <laughs> Vincent and the Grenadines mentioned them earlier. They're the only team on six points in Group C. Would be really cool to see them in League A, the 1996 Gold Cup participants. And then we have another double matchup of teams that are tied at the top of their group in Group D between Puerto Rico and Guyana. Puerto Rico, again, would be another really cool team to see go from League C to League A. In League C... The, the new format really waters it down because there's nine teams and four will get promotion. Yep. Uh, British Virgin Islands did get their first win in like two decades in the last window. <laughs> so it'd be cool to see them do something. The U.S. Virgin Islands are also always horrible, but I think Aruba is probably going to easily qualify from that group. Uh, 
Yeah, Dominique and British Virgin Islands is going to be a big match in Group C because they're tied on three points each. St. Martin is pretty much running away with Group A. And I'm sure yeah, we'll I see ain't... some uh, electric I... backgrounds for those matches. Yeah, I, I I ain't got nothing for you there in League C. That's we'll, all I got. We'll, we'll chat about who gets promoted in November. I, I think is where I'm at with that. Do the uh, do the League C winners? They don't get no. They don't get any. They don't get anything in terms of like being able to potentially qualify for Copa America. Nope. No, Copa America is just off League A. So if you're in League B or League C, you're screwed. You know, no Copa America for yeah. you. Which, as much as I would love to see Bolivia play Bonaire, yeah, man. not gonna get it. Yeah, yeah, probably for the best. If we're being honest, <laughs> you you would you could potentially get some like Australia American Samoa thirty one nothing score lines if that happened. Yeah, I saw a thing on Twitter the other day. And I wish I remembered who it was because it's such a brilliant idea of to host a World Cup of the lowest 32-ranked yes. teams in the wouldn't FIFA rankings. Ama- wouldn't that be amazing? Gets, like, San Marino playing something. Because, like, a lot of those teams are in CONCACAF. Like, these island yep. nations are ranked super low. But you get some, like, some random Asian teams, too, like Macau and, like, Timor Lest. Throw Liechtenstein in there. That would be electric. I would, like... I feel like you and I have talked about this before. Oh, we Obviously, would, the we... World we could do a documentary on that sort of world cup. The world cup is great, but almost like we should make it like champion. So champions league, and then you have the Europa league and then the Europa conference leagues. So you just have like each level. That'll be so much fun to watch. Like the third, like whatever the world cup conference league, you have like Haiti playing, I don't know, equatorial Guinea. And like uh, Uzbekistan, that'd be great. Men can dream, right? That's all we can do. Uh, you have any other Nations League thoughts before we, you know, spiral even further into some club? Uh, no, club I mean, honestly, I feel like we had all of our analysis at the end of September. I'm excited for the matches. Yeah. Um, again, this new format stinks, but if anything, it will create a level of chaos, I think, over the next week, which will make for good TV. Um, I, I guess I just kind of miss the U.S. having to go on the road to play <clears throat> Grenada or Guiana or El Salvador on a more regular basis. But you can't have everything you want. I agree. Uh, no formal round-robin segment this week, but we did want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of the club scene in North America. I want to talk about FC Cincinnati. They have clinched the supporter shield since the last time we talked. It's the first trophy in club history. It's only their fifth season in MLS. They started out their MLS tenure with three consecutive wooden spoons. So they finished dead last in the league three years in a row with like historically bad goal differential. Like they were getting absolutely smacked around. Yes. Two years out from that third consecutive wooden spoon, they are now the best team in the league. I think that is super impressive. Uh, we've talked about Lucho Acosta. We've talked about Brandon Vasquez. Um, Aaron Bupenza, the Gabon international, has been really good. Matt Miazga, national team legend at center back. Hopefully he never plays for the national team again, but has legitimately been like one of the best defenders in the league. Um, is probably like the front runner for defensive player of the yeah. year. 
Easily. And Lucio Acosta is probably going to be MVP. I don't know how you can give it to anyone else. Maybe a shot for Denny Bowanga from LAFC. Um, I do want to shout I, I think despite all of the, or not despite, in addition to the wonderful on the field performance FC Cincinnati has had, it's we often will flame front offices and head coaches, but I think it is worth giving flowers when they are due so general manager chris albright for fc cincinnati i think has done a phenomenal job putting this roster together chris albright in his own right uh was a defender on the u.s men's national team he was on the roster for the 2006 world cup although he did not play was an all-american at uva he started his pro career as like an attacker won the mls cup shield double with dc united in 1999 Eventually settled as a pro as a right back. Won two MLS Cups with LA Galaxy, plus a shield and an open cup. Was MLS best 11 2005. I don't know if you remember the precursor to League's Cup, the Superliga. He won that with New England Revolution in 2008, which I think is still like their only trophy besides that supporter shield the other year. He also had since with New York Red Bulls and Philadelphia Union in a 15-year MLS career. Worked in Philadelphia Union's technical staff before taking over as Cincy GM. We talked about Philly and their youth pipeline with the under-23s. A ton of credit also goes to head coach Pat Noonan. Pat Noonan was a member of the U.S. Men's National Team that won the 2005 Gold Cup. He was an All-American at Indiana. He played in MLS for a decade with a very brief stint in Norway. His most prolific period as a goal-scoring forward was in five seasons with New England Revolution with whom he won the the U.S. Open Cup in 2007, one of three Open Cup titles for him. He later added two more sales Sounders. He did the Shield Cup double with Columbus Crew in 2008, and then won a second MLS Cup with LA Galaxy in 2012. After retirement, he was an assistant on Bruce Arena's LA Galaxy staff, joined him on the U.S. Men's National Team staff for that kind of disastrous period when he took over for Klinsman, excuse me, then went to Philadelphia Union as an assistant to Jim Curtin before taking over since in 2022. So two Philly guys um, or two Philadelphia Union products, both former All-Americans, both fringe U.S. men's national team guys, both MLS veterans branching out on their own, like in these big roles for the first time and succeeding in Cincinnati. I think that is a really cool success story for American soccer of the Two guys from like kind of the generation of like MLS, you know, 1.0, 2.0, now thriving in MLS. I guess you could probably call it 3.0, or maybe with Messi 4.0. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on FC Cincinnati. Nothing that detailed, but I think what they've done in their turnaround. I mean, even being, I believe they were like the five seed in the East last year. They did make the playoffs last year, yeah. And absolutely smoked the Red Bulls in Red Bull Arena in the first round of the playoffs. Um, So what they did last year, I think, was incredibly impressive. I think they pushed the Union to the brink in the Eastern Conference semis as well. Um, I think their rise has been pretty – maybe remarkable is not the right word, but it feels remarkable. I mean, when when you – go three straight wooden spoons to best team in the league in 18 months. Like um, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive, especially the way that they've done it. I mean, um, I was seeing a number of reports this week um, about how a lot of, a lot of front office staffs and a lot of coaching staffs 
rate the supporter shield higher than MLS cup. Um, and for them to do that, I mean, I think they talked to um, Steve Chirundolo, I think of LAFC was who I saw. Um, Wilfred Nancy, like, the Columbus crew head coach had similar comments. Um, Chirundolo, I know is a big proponent of, you know, when him and his staff look back at what they accomplished last year, like they rate the supporter shield higher than, in his own words, playing well for three to four matches. Um, the fact that, you know, you're able to have that level of consistency across an MLS season where to me, the match days are really inconsistent. The fixture list is really inconsistent to do what any team does when they win a supporter shield is really impressive for a club as young as FC Cincinnati. I think it's even more impressive. Quick look at just the MLS standings. A lot of teams have clinched playoff berths. There's only one kind of true match day left, although there are a couple teams that have two matches that are going to end up happening. They're going to play a couple like during the international window, which is not ideal and a part of a bigger conversation of probably MLS scheduling. Uh, Cincinnati obviously has clinched the one seed in the East. Other teams that have clinched Orlando City, Philadelphia Union, Columbus Crew, New England Revolution, Atlanta United, and Nashville. Eliminated are Toronto, who have clinched the wooden spoon. Congrats, Toronto. Um, they have like one of the biggest payrolls in the league with Lorenzo Insignia, and they just completely blew that. Inter Miami is now officially eliminated. Even with Messi, that was going to be a really tough ask for them. And then without that, really kind of sealed their uh, nail in their coffin. Our beloved DC United is currently in ninth in the standings, which nine teams make it, but they are eliminated because they have no games remaining and the teams behind them are guaranteed at least one of them to surpass them. Just a fascinating thing to see the little E next to them on the standings, even though they are in playoff position. Wayne Rooney, uh, the head coach, has agreed to mutually agree with the club to part ways. He's been linked with the Birmingham City job. Just a weird tenure there i don't know if we want to go on a dc united rant no it's too late at night for that oh i just the club just needs an actual direction i'm gonna go on the rant anyways there's pieces there christian benteke has been great matthias click a polish guy from leeds united has been really good like early in the year when they had all like the big names playing well Louis o'brien when he was on loan from nine forest Taxi Funtis before he they punted him away after his like second like racial slur incident, which like at that point, yeah, get the fuck out. Chris Durkin is good. Ted Cudi Pietro, young homegrown, super promising. Like they have pieces, they just have zero defenders in zero direction with like how they want to play. I think Wayne Rooney changed formations like nine times. Well, there's this season. they don't have it, like... they don't have a general manager right now. Well, yeah, and I I think Just, the the big ugh. thing the big thing about MLS is like your teams that win for the most part. Like I would even say like LAFC last year was kind of an outlier given their star power. Like a lot of times when you see teams win MLS Cup, like they don't have like these world class, world beating players. They just have really good teams. 
like just, yep. just overall very solid teams. And like Ben, if you have a world beating player, they fit well within that team, right? And like, okay, Ben is world class. That's great. I could not tell you who our center backs were. They're not, not good. Could not tell you. Could not tell you who our oh, people changed were. It. It's like Burnbaum and like some random guy they pull off the street. Sure. And and with the way MLS fixture lists are, where you've got these odd breaks in the summer, you've got um, 900 competitions that happen at different times. Like there are times where you're not going to be playing one match a week. You're going to be playing two, three matches a week. And they all may be MLS matches. And like you have to have a squad that is both deep enough but solid enough to kind of work because you're going to lose a ton of games in MLS. Like it's it's not like some of these leagues in Europe where your top teams may finish the year with two or three losses or four losses and that's it. Like Cincinnati has dropped points in 13 matches this year. Like that's a lot. Right. Like, I don't want to say they only have 20 wins, but your supporter shield winners only won 20 times. And that's like, like a really good year. Like, they were pretty dominant. Like, let's let, give me one second. For example, Manchester United finished third in the Premier League and won 23 times. And granted, the Premier League plays four more matches, but Arsenal, who finished second, were 26 6 and 6 in the Prem and finished second. Fifth was Liverpool, who won 19 matches. Like in MLS, you're just going to lose a lot, right? So you've got to be good at home and you have to find a way to get results on the road. And DC United, who is at, who actually was half decent at home this year, was abysmal on the road over and over and over again. You know and, who does uh, have a job right now that might be fun? Hmm. Hugo Perez, former El Salvador manager. Oh, could connect well with the Hispanic community there. He's American as well. Just saying, just throwing that one out there. Sounds uh, great. Can't wait for us to not hire him and for us to hire this water bottle. Sorry. In the West, talk about a team that has a great vision top down in their organization. St. Louis City in their expansion year has clinched the number one seed in the West, has clinched a CONCACAF Champions Cup berth. Uh, super impressive. Shout out to VCU Rams great Celio Pompeo playing for them. Uh, other teams that have clinched in the West, LAFC, Seattle Sounders, Houston Dynamo, Vancouver Whitecaps, and Real Salt Lake. Eliminated are Colorado Rapids, LA Galaxy, and Austin. There are, see, there are five teams fighting for the final three spots in the West. Uh, Going to be fun down the stretch overall. Uh, I'm trying to find my Champions Cup Wikipedia tab. Here it is. So MLS teams have clinched Champions Cup berths for next year. Obviously, Inter-Miami won Leagues Cup there in the round of 16. Nashville and Philly also in because of Leagues Cup. Cincinnati is now in, Supporters Shield champions. St. Louis City is in, Western Conference champions. Orlando City is also in now. Dynamo in because of 
U.S. Open Cup. There are two berths left, um, one more in the Supporters' Shield standings, which can still shake out, and then obviously the winner of MLS Cup. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, I should also mention, they won the Canadian Championship. Our Central American friends, we had four clubs clinch their berths, Independiente of Panama, Real Esteli of Nicaragua, and two Costa Rican sides, Alajuelense and Herediano. Uh, two more berths there as well. Um, and then super quickly in the NWSL, teams are getting nuts on the final. We have one match day in the regular season left. 12 total teams in the league, six teams make the playoffs. Kansas City current and Chicago Red Stars are eliminated. Everyone else is still in contention with one game to play. That's pretty crazy. Portland Thorns and San Diego Wave have clinched playoff spots. One of them will win the NWSL Shield, but that is still up for grabs. Currently, North Carolina Courage, Gotham FC, Washington Spirit, OL Reign are in playoff position. But Orlando Pride, Angel City, Racing Louisville, Houston Dash, all still in contention. Um, That's... I think all of the thoughts I have in my head for the evening. Did you have anything else, Don? Top eight make it in NWSL? Top six. So the top two get buys to the semis, and then third through sixth play in the first round. That is fascinating. San Diego Wave is probably my pick to win. Got Jay and Shaw, Naomi Girma, Alex Morgan. They're playing well. Well, I mean, talk about parity. I mean, really anyone in that league can beat anyone on any game. Well, I mean, the Spirit are in fifth with a losing record and a negative goal difference. And they've got Sauce Queen, Trinity Rodman. And Ashley Sanchez. And Ashley Hatch. Never mind, not a losing record. They've got seven wins and nine draws. Good heavens. Fun U.S. Women's National Team players sprinkled all throughout that league, no matter who makes it. And some other international players, too. Every match at 5 p.m. on Paramount Plus, I believe. Is that Saturday that that's happening? Sunday. Oh, bet. Oh, that's perfect. I'll be able to watch all of that, too. NASCAR race at 2.30 should be over by about 6 o'clock. Catch the second half of everything. Love it. This is a this is a NASCAR podcast as well, I think. Ryan Blaney's doing it this year. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think my money's on Tyler Reddick right now. I think he's gonna win Vegas. I think he's gonna win the championship. I can see that. He's good. He's got a championship in him at some point in his career. Anyway, I think that's all I've got. You got anything else? You want to talk about Chandler Smith's contract negotiations? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> all right well they slightly We've gone sleep, off the rails i'm honestly slight, shocked it took this long a slightly sleep deprived <laughs> podcast has gone off the rails we took a little break we're going to be back here for the next couple weeks as we got some international windows coming up um women's national team has some friendlies here coming up in the next couple weeks um so we'll enjoy the soccer we'll watch the soccer We'll hopefully, I think, find out who the men's national team is playing in the quarters by the end of this window, to my knowledge. Um, Probably Cuba. Nope. (laughs) Not going to be Cuba. Anyway, I'll speak for Andy here. Soccer is the best. 
feel free to watch it all. As Arsenal fans, I think we're riding pretty high going into this international break. As Arsenal is tied at the top of the table with North London rivals Tottenham Hotspur after absolutely eviscerating Man City 1-0. The quadruple is still alive. The quadruple is still alive. Anyway, my name is Don Palumbo with my esteemed and much smarter colleague, Andy Lohman. No matter how you may be listening, where you may be listening, thank you for making Because CONCACAF a part of your day. Enjoy the soccer. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, night, or whatever it is when you may be listening. See ya. (laughs) 